This is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep. Never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in Eugene in just under a month. That's right. The trials are quickly approaching, and it is so terribly exciting. This podcast is presented by Coros Global, my favorite watch company. Their GPS watches are the best. Not only do they have the best battery life in the business, mine lasts for a full 30 days in between charges. 30 days. That's right. Not only that, but it has track mode. It's the best. GPS watches you know are traditionally awful on the track. You shouldn't even be looking at your GPS watch if you're on the track. That is, unless you have a Coros watch, not only is it precise, you actually have to choose which lane you're running in. That's how precise it is. So head over to Coros today, that's C-O-R-O-S dot com. Pick out your favorite watch, enter code TRIALS at checkout, and get a free swag bag at the end. Get some free goodies. When you buy a watch that you know you're going to love, I've had mine for two years. I absolutely love it. Battery life is still exactly the same as when I purchased it. So today's episode is with Dana Giordano. We recap three races that she has done in quick succession after her high altitude training camp, not high altitude, her altitude training camp in uh, Utah, which she did with her two of her teammates and, and close friends, Erica Kemp and Elena Tab. Uh, not only that, we basically do a short, quick preview on the race that she has coming up in just three days. One that I'm so excited about because I'm going to be there live and in person. Uh, there's a little embargo on how much I can say because uh, it's going to be close to where I live in New England and they don't want to have fans. But needless to say, it's going to be a great meet with some of the best runners in the country. And I am just so darn excited about it. Uh, it's the Platinum PT track meet, which is also kind of like co-sponsored by Tracksmith. Uh, if you want to watch a live stream of this, and you should, if you're listening to this, you're definitely going to want to watch the live stream because it's hosted by Chris Chavez, Mary Kane, and Carrie Tullifson. The link for that live stream is in the show notes. Basically, what you'll do is go over to that link. It will take you to the Tracksmith website. You enter your email and they email you the link once they're ready to roll. So I think because of the COVID restrictions in the area, what they're going to do is they're going to send people the live stream like right before it starts at around six o'clock on uh, May 29th, because if they send it to you way ahead of time, you might recognize what the track is and then drive over to the track and they don't want to have spectators. So some of this is me guessing about their motives, but ultimately that's kind of what's happening. So uh, with all of that being said, let's dive into my conversation with Dana Giordano. Hello, Dana, and welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat. We are like knee deep in track meet season. Track meets here, there, everywhere. You're you've been all over the place. You've been in Utah, been you know on the, on the West Coast. Now you're back on the East Coast. You're just you're just doing your thing. What's it feel like to? be back into this after being, um, you know, up in Utah and doing the, the altitude training camp for a while. Yeah, I am still pretty new to altitude training. So you never really know how you're going to feel when you come down. And there's a lot of conflicting research. Some people say you feel really good the first little window when you come down, you feel really good two weeks down. So from my very small sample size, I've found that I race a lot better with a little bit more time down. Then uh, immediately after, 
but yeah, it uh, altitude was it was good. It was definitely a lot of hard work, and it was like definitely felt as if it was a work trip, you know. There you go. Our last conversation, you did a great job of recapping kind of like a time in the life at Altitude Camp, you know, with you, Elena, and Erica. And then from there, the plan was, hey, it's racing time, right? You had the sound running uh, track meet um, right after that. What was the time frame in terms of leaving Utah and then heading down there for that for that race? Yeah, so things have been kind of moved around a bunch um, for COVID. So we originally thought we were racing on Friday, um, but the race actually got moved to Saturday. So we were just going to come in the first day before on a Thursday. So we ended up flying on a Thursday and raced on Saturday. Um, maybe I would have felt a little bit better if we flew in like closer to the race. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a quick turnaround. So flew down whatever Thursday that was in mid-May, raced two days later, and then flew back to the East Coast, did a quick little turnaround, raced in New York on Friday, and then in Boston on Saturday. So it's been a busy uh, two weeks. Yeah, the quick turnaround from the Trials and Miles New York City qualifier to then the Adidas race, which was uh, very well attended. It was kind of cool to see like those the sprints like starting at the Boston Marathon finish line uh, and all of that. And you had the, the the road mile as well. It was exciting to see. It's funny. I was like starting to I feel like I'm trying to be on top of all of these things. Right. Yeah. It's not only not only is an interest of mine, it's also a profession of mine. And even I was like losing track of like, wait, what track meets today? I'm, I'm losing track of things. Uh, but it is really exciting. Last time we spoke. The le- how we ended the episode was kind of going through the roster of athletes who are going to be at the track meet, the sound running track meet, um, which you raced in a couple weeks ago. And just going through the list of folks who are going to be running like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be like insane. It's basically like a like a mini um, Olympic trials because there's going to be so many people there. And it didn't disappoint in terms of just the the, the folks who ran in it. You ran the 5K. At the track meet. So what were your expectations heading in, not only in terms of your fitness, but as you mentioned before, like this was kind of a new experience coming from altitude and then racing shortly thereafter? Yeah, so I definitely had some expectations that I did not meet. I really wanted to try to go after the um, Olympic A standard. Um, My coach and I decided it was best that I shifted from heat one to heat two. And I don't know, somewhere along the way, I just got into my own head about it all. and. Maybe it was the altitude. Maybe it was just kind of being race rusty. Um, But my race kind of fell apart after 3K, and I really wasn't in it. And we kind of had to sit down the next day being like, all right, you got to wake up. It's racing season. It's time to go. And that's kind of why we decided to do two races the next weekend to kind of kickstart things leading to the trials. And I think that that kind of goes to show that this year is a little bit weird just because normally we'd have a full-blown indoor season. You know, we wouldn't go this long without racing. And for me, because I got hurt this winter, I think I kind of forgot a little bit about how much it hurts. So I got to the middle of that race and I was like, oh man, like I just wasn't mentally prepared for the 5k like I was in the fall. That's interesting because it's not as if, you know, you're people who are are listening to this are dedicated amateur runners who may go long, go long periods of time um, between races, similar to what you did, but they don't necessarily have the racing background that you have. So I think that there might be certain expectations like, oh, okay, like for pros, it must be different, right? They've had all these races under their belt and they've all these experience that they can draw from. What's it like, you know, just, I'd like to hear in your own words, the differences between 
being race ready, being someone who's kind of week after week gets gets that uh, that feeling of being in a race and what it feels like to race versus doing a workout and what it feels like to when, once you're kind of easing back into it. You know, I think we all know from our own experiences, but from a pro, I would think that it would be slightly different just because you've done this so much more than we have and at a very different level. So what what was that experience like for you in particular applying that to what happened in that in that meet? Yeah, I think last time we kind of spoke about like what an A day looks like versus a B day and when you're trying to do something that you've never done before as a pro, you know, every time you step on the line, you want to win and get a personal best. Those are some lofty expectations. You know, I think as an amateur runner, obviously you have the same goals. You want to improve every time. Um, but when it's not your profession, the stakes aren't as high. And I think sometimes as a pro, it feels a little heavier preparing for races because there are such limited opportunities and you really want to show up for yourself and for your sponsors. So I think sometimes when you, you have some chinks in your armor, it starts to show a little bit out there and the more confident people have great days. And I think that it's a certain level of confidence you have to carry into racing at this level because we've all done the work. You know, we're all fit. We've all done the work. It's getting to that line confident. And I think that that was the difference between me racing at the California races versus me racing this past weekend. And while the times in neither any of the races don't really show where I think I am fitness wise, I think that it comes back down to a confident mentality versus I wasn't really that confident leading into that California race versus I feel like I snapped out of it and kind of got out of my own way and raced like the competitor I know I am this past weekend. And we also spoke about your visualization practice, you know, in terms of getting ready for races. And when you go through that, you know, do you visualize all sorts of different things? I think the the, the one thing that I um, think about is, I think it was Michael Phelps, or I think every swimming story for me ends up being like, <laughs> was this about Michael Phelps? I can't quite remember. Probably. But, but then he would practice like, not practice, but he would practice visualizing like, all right, what happens if like my goggles break? Mm -hmm. How am I going to react during the race? Right. Type things. And there's other things where you're like, no, you focus on the positive. You try to put yourself in that positive main mind frame and what it feels like to be at your best and, and getting the surroundings and being very tactile about that experience. And obviously there are you know shades of gray in between both of these. What was your experience with visualization in terms of preparing yourself for that sort of experience? Well, that's a really good question. It, my mind immediately goes to a, a story that in high school, one of my best races it was my last race in high school, New Balance Nationals, and I ended up getting third, which was a great result for me. I got the state record for New Jersey, so it was an awesome day. But there was somewhere in the second mile, it was a two-mile race, that I thought to myself, if I just stepped on the rail right now and twisted my ankle, this would all be over. Like, that was an actual thought that came through my brain. And I think that a lot of people think pro runners are immune to that negative self-talk. In, when the race happens. But I think that visualization of those scenarios that you're describing is kind of those understanding that those type of thoughts, maybe they're not as crazy as step on the railing, twist your ankle, and this all could all be over. But that type of negative self-talk will come in the race, but preparing your level of confidence to be able to be like, all right, I'm 4K in. It's supposed to hurt. This is the hardest part of the 5K. I have to get through these three laps. This is where I need to be tough. It's kind of a 
speaking to yourself. Um, and I think sometimes it's a little unrealistic to think like, I'm going to be, because I, I practice positive self-talk all the time, you know. I think I told you my mantra last time is that like being strong and powerful and in full control. And you, that'd be great if your mind could stay on that for 15 minutes. But I know anyone who's tried to meditate knows how hard it is to have a clear blank slate and focus on one type of thought for any extended period of time. So I think in my meditation practice and visualization, it's kind of, if anyone's done headspace, you acknowledge it, see that it's there, don't ignore it, but then let it go. You know, acknowledge that it hurts, acknowledge that you're having this negativity and let it go and reframing to what you're trying to do next. I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, it does. Absolutely. And I think, I guess my next question would be, okay, you do that, like you notice, you notice it, you set it aside. When you're meditating, you know, you kind of come back to center and that, that, that sense of self and you have that, that presence that's associated with it. When you're taking that same, those same tools and using it for in the middle of a race, especially let's use your example of being at 4K, what does like that center feel like? In compared to, I mean, not compared to like just sitting there on like on your couch, but like sitting like when you, when you come back to center, is that a purely mental and emotional state or is there like a physicalness about it too? Because you're in the middle of doing something that is incredibly physical. Yeah, I think that it comes down to recognizing the pain that you're going to be in that kind of, you know, it's going to be hard, but knowing that you have another gear and knowing that there's something still inside of you that has been untapped. And I think that the best races that I personally had is being like, all right, this isn't over. It's time, you know, kind of being like it's now time and switching into that second gear. And that happens a little bit more naturally for me in the 1500, just because I've done that event more, but the races that I've done the best in, I'm very present and like aware and connected to the race. You know, my mind doesn't shift elsewhere. I know when the move's being made, I'm not getting left behind and I'm making the move at the proper time. Right. Absolutely. All right. So we should just say, um, and I'll, I don't say it in the, you know, I'm saying this in the intro as well, but just during the course of this conversation. So in heat two, which is, you said you dropped down to heat two on purpose, which was also stacked <laughs> like yeah. calling it yeah. calling it it's more like calling it heat 1b because exactly. it's loaded absolutely loaded uh grace barnett won it in 1512 with a whole handful of people right on her heels um as well and it, you you came through in 1536 which is still you know a very respectable time um not what you were shooting for necessarily but uh, a respectable time and there's still um you know some women came in behind you as well you mentioned things kind of fell off the rails at 3K, and then you kind of work from there. After the fact, once the emotions of the race had dissipated and you're able to review the race kind of with a clear head, were there any positives you could take from the experience? Uh, I guess we're our biggest critics, but honestly, no, not really. I think that I just was pretty disengaged after 2K and didn't really... You know, I knew what I, I knew not what not to do. You know, I know that now is kind of sh okay. Wake up, shift gears, stop feeling sorry for yourself, and move on. Go to the next one. Don't dwell on it. That was kind of the positive. Was just you didn't get what you wanted. You ran slower than you ran in the fall. You know, it's 
it's time to step up. And I think that the only positive is knowing that that performance wasn't indicative of where I'm at. And I think that I'm now a lot more confident than I was leading off at altitude camp. So I guess that could be a positive. There you go. All right. So we, we, you turn around, head back east. You know, you're from New Jersey. You live in the Boston area. Here you go. Eastern time zone. Set it straight. You hop over to the New York City qualifier. Um, you kind of, kind of, co- there's a trials and miles race. Sidious Mag is also very much part of this. Uh, a podcasting network that you're very familiar with. Yes. Host your podcast as well. Um, We've been on a so, hiatus. We've been focusing on racing. <laughs> and you and you've been and you talk to me, which I've been very grateful for. Uh, so at least at least the, your fans are being able to connect with you as well. Well, you go back. You go into that race again. Another completely loaded field. There's you know, so everyone's running running now. Everyone's kind of getting into the flow of things. From a race selection standpoint, you ran the five k. Sound running meet. Come back to New York. Enter the fifteen hundred. You've kind of been going back and forth a little bit here in terms of which which one to do at various races. How do you decide which ones you're going to do, uh, and how how close to the race can you make that decision? I think this was always originally the plan. I definitely have more comfort in the fifteen hundred. The fifteen hundred is a speed mid- middle distance race, so in order to get ready for championship season, you got to get fast. So it definitely kicks the legs into gear. Um, I'd still like to get the Olympic trials qualifier in the 1500, and I do have an opportunity coming up on May 29th. So I would like to have the option of both events. There you go. All right. So you hop into that race. You're coming off a race that you didn't feel great about. And when you're lining up for this one, are you able to just keep that to the side, or does that linger at all? Honestly, no. It, I, I kind of was in the dumps for like about a day and then there's no time to waste. We are almost in June. You got to shift your eyes to the next thing. So I think that's something that I'm pretty good at, you know, is kind of shifting those gears and focusing on the next thing and the next opportunity. And I'm I'm sure you know so many of the women that you race against in a lot of these races and, and you rarely come across someone who's new or unfamiliar to you in certain respects. But not only... Not only was that going on, but your friend and training partner, Erica Kemp, was in the 1,500-meter race with you. Now, you're used to running with her. You do it constantly throughout the year. What's it like to line up with her next to her in an actual race setting? Does it feel a little different? Does it feel like, oh, you know, this is my, I can kind of work off her, or do you guys work together at all? Like, what, what's that experience like as training partners? Yeah, I would say that I'm definitely the 1,500-meter specialist of the two of us, and she's probably more the 5K. So um, we have very different race plans. I think that it's nice to have someone to warm up with, but when it comes to stepping to the line, um, it's you're not working together. <laughs> so, you know, so you end up running 4-12-73. There it is. Um, and you're finishing second to Danny Aragon um, in this race. You've been great about giving us candor the entire time we've had you on this 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 podcast. How did you feel about this one? Yeah, my race plan was to go straight behind the rabbit, and um, the rabbit was instructed to go through eight hundred and about two twelve, um, and we were we were a little slow. So I think the perfect fifteen hundred pace job is kind of an even pace. You know, you want to be running sixty six quarters, and we went out pretty hot. We went out in a sixty three, which is makes it hurt. 
So we did a 63 and then a 70 for the second lap. So I took over the third lap and did some work. And then Danny just had another gear. Um, But I was pretty happy with the race based on, you know, a big week of travel. We did the trip down in a day. We drove straight down. So I was really happy with the way I was engaged and competitive. Um, So I think that the time, time's the time, whatever, was just an opportunity to race and, you know, feel like myself again and kind of look like myself. You know, my parents are like, you looked like yourself out there. You were racing. You were being aggressive. So I don't know if you guys caught the race, but that's what I was happy about. Oh, that's great. And how much different does it feel to run 63-70 versus 66-66? Obviously, in aggregate time, they're the same, but these are very different, I would assume, very different experiences. 63 feels terrible. Feels terrible. We went out basically in almost 60-second pace for the first 300 and then slowed down. Oh, so, my gosh. It's like you're running an 800-meter. Yeah, pretty much. So I think it's just – it's a really – it's a good practice for championship racing because championship racing is weird and you got to get out and find your spot. And I'm pretty good at getting off the line. Um, it's just not preferable way to run fast. So it's a no, no salt to anyone and especially not the rabbit. Um, but it's just, it's kind of a tough way to run because it takes a lot of the gas out of your legs. So if you're saying doing even paced first 800 meters or so in the 1500 do you feel like you have juice in your legs to speed up in the last you know 300 or so or is it matter is it just a matter of hanging on until the very end yeah i think that ideally i would have had it in this race too um you always want to have that last gear but the 1500 is a really interesting event where people start making their move from like 500 meters out pretty much. So it's kind of a really long extended squeeze of a kick versus the 800, which is that last 200. So I think that the stronger you are, the better off you are. Um, But kind of leading at 500 is when the moves start to become made. There you go. And then you came into your adopted hometown. You left the New York, New Jersey area, your real hometown. You come back up to Boston um, for an Adidas meet uh, a couple days later to run the road mile with, you know, with the elite of the elites, we talked about stacked field over and over again over the past couple uh, races you've been in. This one was no different, maybe even stronger, if anything, uh, to run the road mile up here in Boston. What's that? What's if you had a preference, same field type, same same weather, same all of that, you could do, you know, road mile or a track mile. Which one would you prefer? Oh, that's tough. It's like that is the definition of apple store inches. But I think track for me, just because, you know, um, there's less factors involved. Um, the road mile was supposed to be in a different location, but due to COVID restrictions in Boston, they had to move it to Watertown. So it was kind of moved um, about very, very close to my house, <laughs> about five minutes away from where I actually live, which is so funny. Um, and it had a 180 degree pin turn. So I don't think I'd want to oh do God. that every day. Uh, it had a, yeah, the turn was so tight and it had two timing strips in it. So we like two little bumps in it. And it was, yeah, it was, we basically came to a full stop in the turn. <laughs> Which makes like the first, which makes, I would assume like anything up to that is almost kind of like prelude because once you come to a full stop, you're just, you, you oh, yeah. immediately like you're, you're, you come together. Like a two second stop and then another 800. Yeah. <laughs> the thing with the road mile, I always wonder is just like judging 
judging how much is left, right? With the track, you're always hyper aware of like, okay, this is, you probably could count the steps with how much you have left. That is what I got into trouble with, with the road mile. I passed Dominique Scott a little too early and she got me back at the end because I misjudged how far away the line was. Cause this I just, was your, you, you were right next to your house of all the people. Who could get get the right distance? You know, even though I was so close to my house, it's not like I'm doing mile repeats on the random stretch of river on the Esplanade. I mean, That's maybe. Right. I, I'm, I'm just busting your balls. But yeah, that, I can imagine that being very, very tough. And the triathletes say this all the time when they're when they're at Kona coming in. I, when they, they, they do the return buoy, they come back. And then again, I don't know if it's still this way, but traditionally there was like this huge inflatable like Bud Light can, Bud Light bottle at the end of the swim finish. So right, right right near the transition area, or until you can spot it from far on out. Again, this is from like the Iron Man books that I've read. Maybe things have changed. Don't at me if you're a higher man competitor and you know the difference now. But ultimately, there's like every time, they, every four strokes, they look up and it's like the can hasn't moved. It's still the same distance away. I keep swimming. I don't feel like I'm getting closer to shore. And then eventually you kind of get there. Uh, obviously, Swimming for 25 to 45 minutes is a lot different than running for four minutes, but I can imagine it being somewhat similar compared to what you're used to. Definitely. And the only other really, I guess the only other road mile I've done was when I was super hurt and I did Fifth Ave, but Fifth Ave is different because it's slightly uphill in the first 400 and then it's totally a rip and roll, like downhill the rest of the way. So it's a lot faster and uh just easier so this was like a new course for everyone i've done the ba road not the ba road out but the boston boost games in 2019 and it was a different course so i thought i'd have that advantage but not this time but it was a lot of fun there was great prize money which is always a huge bonus because sadly the track world doesn't have uh great prize money these days gotcha no that makes sense well, it just just seeing you, see, we're we're recording this on video, so I'm actually getting a chance to see you yeah. as we're talking. I can see as, as we're progressing through these races, you're, you're I can see you getting more excited talking about them and and just the juice involved in some of these races, and you're getting really into it. What's the schedule look like now? You mentioned before, like we're about to hit June. We're less than a month now before the trials begin. You mentioned before you got a race on the 29th. That's four days away. What else does the calendar look like? Yeah, well, I think the change in attitude is because you're not catching me on my fifth 80-mile week at 7,000 feet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) maybe some of that coming into play. But yeah, the race on the 29th is my last race before the trials. So I'm hoping that we get that 1,500-meter time in there. But if not, then I'll be focusing on the 5K. If I do, then we'll have some decisions to make, um, which would be nice to have. And yeah, I think we were originally thinking maybe racing again, but I think right now limiting travel, staying close to home, being in a routine is probably the most beneficial thing. So yeah, I think you'll probably see these next two weeks more racing and then people are really going to shut it down before the trials. Gotcha. And I didn't mean to say what I said before. I meant to say when we were talking about the sound running meet and then the New York City qualifier and then the boost games. Oh, that no, as, no. As we progress through, as we, as oh, we progress through those recaps. That's the truth, though. You know, <laughs> as the season goes along, I think I'm definitely a person who likes to race versus train. And uh, I especially like to race the mile. But I want, I want, really, really want. I understand what it takes now to be elite in the 5K, especially with, uh, you know, not having an A day. So I think it's all good preparation for the trials. 
Just so we're clear, I, I love talking to you under any circumstance, no matter what's going on. So oh, I want to no, make sure that, okay. that, was, that that was clear. Well, I'm excited for the 29th because I will be there as well. The Platinum PT track meet being held at a quote unquote undisclosed location in the New England area, which happens to be 40 minutes from my house. So I will be there as a media member. I can't wait. It's closer to you than to me. I am so excited. It's been at, it is at a place that I've been to three, four dozen times in my life. Uh, Olivia is going to be there as well. And I think I'm trying to remember, because I can't even get, I'm trying to, I was trying to get the, the all the folks who are going to be there. I, they're not, they didn't send me the list yet. So maybe there's going to be other people there as well that, that either are on this podcast or people that we know. Again, another stacked meet. That will be exciting. Um, as you prepare for your last meet before the trials, what does this, um, this week of training look like, especially coming off of a couple, a couple of races? Yes, this week's pretty light. We've got a tune-up on Wednesday, a little workout on Wednesday. So, you know, just taking care of myself and actually sleeping was nice. It's a little hard going, you know, changing time zones and readjusting. So just kind of getting back to the swing of things, got a nice sports massage today and, you know, not scheduling anything and just kind of being present in the day-to-day. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right, so if people want to watch this, because there's going to be a live stream of this event. It's Mary Kane, Chris Chavez, and Carrie Tollison will be doing the broadcast. If you head over to Tracksmith, so the Platinum PT Qualifier, we'll have this in the show notes. If you go Google this, you will be able to find it. You basically you enter your email address, and then Tracksmith will send you a link for the live stream once it gets going. So that's the way to do it. Again, you just head over to the show notes. I'll have the link in there for you and you'll be able to find it. There'll be one of probably a million places you'll be able to find this as the race begins because people will be posting it all over the place. It's going to be really exciting. I can't wait not only to see live, track live in person. It has been a while, um, but just to see so many folks um, as well. As we move into... Um, June, we'll say to we're gonna skip over this race for a second. We'll probably talk again right before the trials. It will be you know several weeks uh, between this event and then when the trials start. What does that training block look like uh, for you? I don't know. We'll see. I don't know until it until it comes. I think that this weekend will kind of determine a fair amount, and then it'll kind of determine, you know say I got the 1500 meter standard this weekend and I, my heart was in that race. I want to do for the trials. Then my last three weeks leading to the trials would look different than if I ran the 5k. So it's just a little hard to tell right now what that would look like, but definitely some quality work before, you know, we don't really taper fully, maybe just the week before, but kind of, yeah, it's still some hard work to left to do. Right. And then the trials also, you know, we're talking almost two weeks in terms of how long the trials is. And we'll be going over all of this uh, in June. I'll be going over, you know, how many heats different races are, when the heats will be. If there are certain people who are uh, in this series who will be trying to do more than one event, we'll go through all the logistics. So uh, we'll save all of that for the following podcast, not necessarily with you, but also with just we'll be speaking generally about what the trials will look like. And we'll have some guests, some special guests to help us review and preview a lot of that as well. Dana, good luck this weekend. I can't wait to finally see you in person. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm excited for you. Thank you. See you then. Dana, thank you so much. And just like how we ended our conversation, best of luck to you this weekend. 
This is exciting stuff, guys. We're rounding into the, the final turn of the uh, the season here as we approach the uh, Olympic trials. And this is just so darn exciting. Uh, coming up in June, we'll have so much stuff. Not only will we connect with all of our athletes again before the trials, but we're also going to have some, some episodes with some other folks as we kind of prepare for what the trials will be like in terms of the logistics of the trials, right? This isn't like the um, like the marathon trials where it's just a one-day event, right? The men and the women, they're both in Atlanta. They both run on the same day. End of story. Again, it's obviously a logistical nightmare, but it's really easy to understand. It's just, hey, it's a one-day event. Here we go. Just like every other race that you've ever done. However, for the track trials, it's so different. They're going to be there for... 12 days. This baby is long. There's going to be a lot of heats for a lot of races. There's going to be certain athletes um, that are going to be doing more than one race, more than one event. And what are those logistics like? What are those logistics like? I should say, we're going to touch on all of that. And it's going to be really exciting. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Meta P for the music and his song, Evolution.